0: This morning we're going to deal with a question that has been around for a very long time. And it seems as if we don't have the answer yet or people haven't really come to some sort of conclusion about the question. And we're going to look at that this morning from our reading through the book of Mark. Uh, We will be reading today uh, Mark chapter 12 and we will be looking at verses 13 through 17 And we again echo the song and we pray that God would impart uh, wisdom in his spirit among us this morning as we contemplate his word. Mark 12 at verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesars. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Two thousand years and we're still wrestling with the same question. Is it right to pay taxes to the government? I want you to ponder that question. I want you to be prepared for an answer. But I don't want you to answer. But the question posed to Jesus is what it said there. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Now for us that would be paying taxes to our government. The one that's ruling over us. Over this country. But it came to Jesus in his day. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Really, more of the question behind that was should the Jewish people, should God's people pay taxes to Caesar? That's the question. What if you don't like Caesar? What if you don't like the one that's in power? What if you're asked that question and you don't care for the man that sits on the throne or in the White House or whatever country, whatever seat they might sit in? What if you don't care for that person? What if you don't think they do a good job? Is it okay then to not pay? Certainly the Jewish people didn't like Caesar. So that was a question. I don't like him. I don't like what he stands for. What if you don't agree with what they spend it on? Right? That's, that's our question yet today too. What if I don't want my taxes to pay for this service or that one? What if I don't care to have my money pay for abortion? Should I stop paying taxes? What if I don't like what they're doing with it on a governmental level and it seems as if they waste so much of it? Should I not pay taxes? Is it still right to pay taxes then? And this question still lingers. What if it's not our country? What if you're in a different country? We're answering that question thinking about our own country here. What if you lived in Kenya? What if you lived in, in Italy? What if you lived in Madagascar? Spain? Cuba? How do you answer the question then? Is it, is it right to pay taxes to that government? Maybe the ones that are extremely oppressive. Is it okay? Is it right? Is it okay not to? What if they're just plain irresponsible with the money? And the only thing you see is how they get richer and the poor get poorer. And that question lingers. Is it, is it okay to pay taxes? Should we or shouldn't we? We find ourselves in this dilemma yet today. And some of the things that we've talked about, we've wondered about. Maybe you wrestle with where your tax dollars go. Maybe we're very happy to support our men and women in blue and those emergency responders and for those that keep our our, our infrastructure in place so that we have uh, decent roads and, and information that can pass around. And maybe you're happy with that, but some of the other stuff you're not. We still wrestle with this whole idea of paying taxes. I don't like paying taxes, to be honest. Except there are some things that I get from it, so I would just assume not. But I don't know if i figured that out yet, how to not do that. I might get thrown in jail if I choose not to. If I buy anything, it's being taxed. If I go to the gas station to fill up my car before the trip, I'm going to pay taxes on that and I can't stand it. When I get my gas bill for my home in the the winter, you know how much of that is taxes? I don't like paying those taxes. But I do like a warm house. This question is still there and it's brought up to Jesus in His context, in His day. And it's the dilemma facing Him and it's probably been facing uh, God's people for a long time because it's not the first time that God's people have been under somebody else's rule and reign and they had to pay tribute to whoever was over them. And so we have this dilemma, the church and the state. That comes into it. Who? What do God's people have to do with the the civil government? What's... What's our connection there? We have separation of church and state, and that's even this confusing issue at times. But before you form your answer yet, I want us to make sure that we understand where this question is coming from. Because if we just try to answer the question, we've missed what we need to so far. If somebody says, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not, to pay to our government or not, or whatever country you live in, in this circumstance here, we need to understand who's asking and why. That's one of the things that Jesus is this master of, that he tries to get at the depth of what's being asked without just giving a quick answer. When they ask Jesus this question, They're not so interested in the answer as much as they are in trapping him. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. That's why the question came. This was a trap. That's important for us to keep in mind as as we look at what Jesus is going to say. How is he going to answer And it comes from this uh, strange alliance. The Pharisees, the religious sect of the day, the Jewish leaders who can't stand Roman rule over them. And then the Herodians who support Herod and the throne. And they don't like each other at all. But they've come together with the common purpose of of trapping the one who threatens both of them. This is where the question comes from. These are the people bringing the question. They have really nothing to do with each other except they'll come together for evil. They'll come together to set a trap. And they they do it... I don't know what they're thinking about Jesus, but they, they, they use all this uh, flowery speech, you know. Teacher, teacher we know... We know that you are true. And you don't care about anyone's opinions. We know all that. You're not swayed by appearances. There's nothing impartial about you. And you truly teach the way of God. Red flag. You can tell, because they're there to trap Him, that that phrase, all of that stuff meant nothing. This is one of those times where if lightning was going to strike, it would strike them then and there because everything they said was false uh, to them. The irony of it is it was all true, but they didn't believe it. If they believed he truly teaches the way of God, they would be following him already. And Jesus gives them every opportunity. But they are only there to puff him up and flatter him in hopes that even that might trap him. So, which side is he going to fall on? That's the trap. Does he side with the Pharisees and upset the Roman government and be put in jail for not paying taxes that are supposed to be paid by all the people? Or does he pay the tax and upset the religious leaders who hold to the law of God and he's he's supposed to be in this trap. That's what they've set up for him. So either answer they've given him two answers to choose from. Yes or no. Right or wrong. Should we pay or shouldn't we? Jesus is far too wise for that. But that's That's the trap that they set. And they're waiting to see which side of it he'll fall on. They've crafted what they think to be this marvelous trap that you either have to go this way or that way and either way is failure for you. Either way will end you you up in prison or worse. And the trap has been set. But Jesus doesn't give an answer. Jesus, this master at getting at people's hearts, see, they're trying to expose Jesus. Jesus then turns the tables once again to expose them. And he does that for you and I too. He'll probe us in ways that give us an opportunity to reveal a little bit of who we are and how much we truly trust him. And he's he's turning the tables on them again. And he asks some questions. Questions, brothers and sisters, questions. When Jesus asks questions, sit up and pay attention. He asks them for very clever, specific reasons. It will reveal something. And we're meant to learn from that. First question. Why are you putting me to the test? Why are you testing me? They have been following Jesus around all of his ministry in different places, wherever he's gone. And now in Jerusalem. Why are you putting me to the test? They should already know that they have failed every time. And that every time he does something, the people are more and more amazed at what he does and they kind of shrink back off into the shadows. They haven't learned yet that you cannot trap Jesus and you cannot win in a test against him. Do they think they can win against the one who knows their hearts and minds? Who created their hearts and minds? They've not been able to succeed so far. But they still want to try again. And they are going to continue to try. In the days coming ahead of this, in this place in Jesus' life, in the days ahead, they are going to try to do everything. They will pull out all the stops, including getting people to lie in order to trap him once again. Not just flattery this time, they will tell outright lies against him. That's what they have to resort to, because they cannot pass the test just by coming against Jesus. They never will. So Jesus says, bring me Bring me one of those coins. The denarius. The the denarius was a particular coin. It was the coin, when it goes to taxes, it was the coin that you used to pay the poll tax. The tax that everybody under Roman government had to pay. That's the coin you use. The denarius. There were other coins. This one was a day's wage. It was worth a day's wage. Somebody worked for you all day, you give them the denarius. Jesus said, bring me one of those. What do you see on it? Whose likeness and inscription? And so they, they pull out the coin. Jesus Jesus said he knows their hypocrisy. He knows, especially from the Pharisees, that they would have nothing to do with the Roman government. They can't stand them. They're sick and tired of being under his rule and reign. But Jesus says, give me one of the coins to pay the tax, and they here. Oddly enough, they possess it. It wasn't hard for them at all to come up with a coin that represents so much of what they hate. Jesus doesn't have that. They did. The inscription on it, on the front side of it, says, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. This is a coin that would claim Caesar as Lord, as God, as divine. This was a coin to represent that he had power and authority. He had divinity. The other side of the coin? Highest priest. All authority, high priest. And you wonder why Jesus gets so upset about paying taxes and he says, bring me that coin that you use and tell me what it says. And the people that would have nothing to do with that had the coin in their possession and were able to produce it for him. And in doing so, when they would pay the tax with that, they would be signifying their subservience to the Roman government. We fall under your authority. That's what the poll tax would mean for the people. We recognize your authority and we find ourselves in submission to it. This is, this is the basis of why Jesus is uh, coming back with them with more questions. He wants to expose what they're already a part of. They hated paying it, but they did. They did. They were the zealots in the day and they refused to pay, but they were the, they were the extremists. But the Pharisees, they, as much as they didn't want to pay it, they did. And in doing so, they would put themselves under the authority of Caesar. That should have rung some bells when Jesus said, whose image and inscription is on it? They should be squirming in their boots right now. Because God said at the very beginning of his kingdom... That he established in the opening chapters of Scripture, he said, Genesis one twenty six, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over every thing on the earth and over every creeping thing that crawls upon the earth. God said, I have made you in my image. All of humanity belongs to God and will answer to God. He has supreme authority over all of creation. And here is the Pharisees and the Herodians asking if they should pay taxes or not. And Jesus says, well, if you do, are you saying then that you give authority and glory to somebody else, which they do. I love the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, as the book opens up, it says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. We heard about Jesus being the heir uh, in the story of the parable of the tenants. He appointed in the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power, making purifications for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The writer of Hebrews describes who Jesus is Now the Pharisees, and of course the Herodians, are completely missing that. They haven't caught on to who Jesus is represent, representing himself as. They should have. They've had all the clues all along the way in Scripture. They should have seen that this is God in a, in a human form among us. They should have recognized the works that he did as the very works of God. But every time that happened, they were threatened. Here they are asking the question and Jesus rebuts them with two others. Why are you testing me? And on that coin, what does it say? Basically it says Caesar is Lord and on the back side, which I think was the priest of the day, she is the highest priest. And Jesus has caught them in their own trap. You want to know if it's okay to pay taxes to Caesar. I'm telling you that if you continue in that mindset of Caesar has authority over us in ways that you cannot deny, then their hearts have been exposed. In her book uh, Total Truth, Nancy Piercy paints this picture of uh, the world in which we live and so many people uh, have this tendency to see the world as uh, two different things, two different parts of life. There is the religious part of life and then there's the non-religious and that can be in whatever form it comes. There is the, the church part of life and then there's the, the government part of life. There is the the commitment to God parts of life, and then there's the the enjoyment of life kinds of things. And they don't really mix. There are things that are ultimately reserved for God alone, but then there are these things that I kind of take possession of or I allow some other space for that. But it really doesn't fall under God's authority. And Jesus is challenging that here. There's not this system in the world that exists where God has some authority and others have Uh, their place, but there's this aisle between. There isn't any of that. There never has been. Now we do have an enemy of our souls. There is an enemy who wants to destroy God's people. He wants to destroy all people. But he has no real authority except what's been given to him. Same with Caesar. Caesar has no authority. God is the one who puts kings in place and removes them. If, if people have this idea that the government, whatever government it would be at whatever time in earth's history, is going to be somehow the ones that uh, save and provide for them, and they keep giving whatever they can to the government so that they keep receiving whatever they can back, it's a hopeless cause. The Roman government doesn't exist anymore the way it did. The Egyptian government doesn't exist anymore anymore. The the Medes and the Persians don't exist anymore the way they did. The governments that have come through this uh, earth, many of them are already long gone. So government is not this place where, well, the government always has this right and this authority, and it has nothing to do with God. Far from it. Jesus would say at the end of Matthew, all authority is mine. It's the same thing that God was claiming as He created all things by His own power, just by speaking it into existence and then sat down to rule and reign. This is all mine. So Jesus does come to the answer. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. Now that does not mean what I just spoke against, that some things Caesar has control over and some God does. But if you're in a place and you're receiving benefit from that, I want, I'll, as much as I don't like how much taxes I pay for gas, I want to drive on good roads between here and Kentucky. And so I pay those taxes. I like the fact that uh, I get... Um, Electricity and gas to my house so I stay warm and cool and I have lights and everything. So as much as I don't like to, I take those things in exchange for that. But I don't put my stock in in the government at all. They're not my hope at all. But that's where people were falling into this trap. And people still fall into that trap of the government will provide the government is the one that will take care of us. The government will, and they keep lifting up the government, whatever government they are under, higher and higher. And that's not the place we're supposed to find ourselves in as Christians. Jesus doesn't say, don't pay taxes. He said, give back to. Ca-. The coin belonged to Caesar, that was his coin. In in their world that day, he could take that back whenever it belonged to Caesar. So if that belongs to him, if he owns this hunk of metal, give it back. It's his. But give to God the things that are God's. All authority. All glory. All allegiance. All faith. All trust. None of that belongs to Caesar or any other uh, ruling authority. And that's always been the case. One of my favorite stories uh, in the book of Daniel. Daniel and his three friends, both in different circumstances. uh, The three friends thrown uh, into the fiery pit because they would not bow to the government. Daniel, same thing. Would not bow bow and give authority to anybody but God. He's not going to give glory to anybody else It doesn't belong anywhere else. And you'll find those stories here and there scattered throughout throughout Scripture where people are challenged to give their glory to somebody else that does not deserve it. And so Jesus is saying, "If, if Caesar owns the roads and you're happy to drive on the roads, give him back the money. But don't give Him my glory. Don't put your trust in Him. Don't put your hope in Him. All of that belongs to me. Job, listen listen to what belongs to God. And we don't have time to exhaust the list by any means. Job says in chapter 12, verse 13, With God our wisdom and might, He has counsel and understanding. Nobody has that the way God does. You will not find more wisdom, more counsel, more understanding than what God has. And as we make our way through Scripture this year, we're finding out more and more of the wisdom of God. Romans 7, 4. Paul says, My brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You belong to God Himself. You don't belong to anybody else. The, the Pharisees don't belong to Caesar. Neither did any of the people. You belong to God because of what Christ has done. Paul would say in 2 uh, Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure. We possess this uh, good news, this gospel message, in tre- uh, treasure in char- jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God, uh, surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Doesn't belong to you and me. Doesn't belong to Biden or Trump or anybody else. Caesar. The surpassing power belongs to God. Revelation nineteen one. John says, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Caesar doesn't even come anywhere close to that. Nobody does. You could put all the kings of the earth, the greatest and the pitiful ones, all on the scale together, and they don't even move the scale against God. They have no glory like He does. 1 Peter 4.11. It says, Whoever speaks, the one who speaks the oracle of God, whoever serves, is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To Him, to Him, nobody else, belong glory and dominion forever and ever Pharisees are given an opportunity to recognize what they should have known all along. Nobody else deserves any bit of the glory for what God does. And nobody else is worthy of it. He has the power. This is all His. And so we give back everything we have. We give our service to Him. We give Him glory. We give Him praise. We give Him thanksgiving. We give Him back of the things that He gives to us so that we may serve others. We give Him all of our trust. Nobody deserves any of that but God alone. And as much as the world system would always try to promise you everything that God does they could never deliver God always keeps his word God always has your best interest at heart when he asks you to do something, to be someone, to live a certain way, to follow the path that he has set out for you, you will not fail when you follow him that's why he's worthy of everything that is due him. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, there's no one else, no one else that deserves any part of what is rightfully yours. All power, all glory, all dominion, they are all yours, completely. And yet you you invite us into your story, you invite us into your kingdom's work. And we stand with you to do that work, because we want to see your glory magnified, We remember the prayer that we've prayed so many times in our lives. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. We want to join in that work so that you get all praise and honor and glory and we wouldn't give it to anyone else. There is no God but you. There is not one God like you. And so we are amazed uh, as the people were in Jesus day as He answered so uh, perfectly. We're amazed, Father, that um, you never fail us. you never you've never let us down. In fact, all the times that we have found ourselves in trouble in this life, we have caused that ourselves, or we have uh, maybe failed to follow through those times of uh, trial, faithfully in your name and so we're here again this morning to just surrender ourselves to you where we have given glory and authority and power to anyone or anything else father we we confess that and so we pray that you would heal us of all those things that would lead us astray. As we prayed and as we read about your glory filling this temple, we we pray that that would continue to happen here in this place through us. Not for our glory. Not to us, but to you. So Father, we lift up your name today. We pray that you would uh, allow us to participate in making your name more glorious by by leading people to you, by, by showing them how we have been redeemed in this world and how you have kept every one of your promises to your people. All glory and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.